Welcome to our first 2024 edition of Bruce Monin's Computer Points. I am Bruce Monin, your host. Joining me is our executive producer, thief researcher, usual co-host, and number one figure skating analyst, Rebecca Monin. <laughs> uh, the title is How They Shift and Change. Usual co-host is a fun one. Well, I have been informed by Rebecca that as we start year number six, believe it or not, of this podcast, that as she is, unlike me, both young, single, and possessing of a social life, she may miss out on an episode or two during the coming season. Don't forget Hopefully not too many. full time. Oh, yes. And she has a job. Yeah. So, you know, we are totally <laughs> on a life. I figured we're settled enough into the routine. Even though I know there are some listeners who listen for me according to their comments to you sometimes, that the podcast can probably live without me for a week while I recalibrate and take a day to do my laundry. By the way, I forgot to mention, Rebecca, of course, is broadcasting from the greater Cincinnati area, whereas I myself am in the uh, mighty metropolis of Minster, Ohio. I have no idea where to go from there. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing this without a script this time, and I am comfortable with that. Dad is like a deer in the headlights. It is something new for me, that is for sure. We thought we should put out a podcast here to let you all know that we will indeed be back for the 2024 season. And as soon as something newsworthy in high school football computer points happens, we will be back with our preseason podcast there really has been nothing as of yet rebecca the coaching change oh, yeah. here or there a Isn't conference there a new, move here or there uh commissioner of the well i guess the commissioners of the mac not of the entire ohsaa correct the occasional conference has a new commissioner nothing that really affects computer points all that great just yet good to know so, so in, instead of doing football statistics we can do figure Skating statistics, the other circle of the Venn diagram that is this podcast. That is correct. If you are just here for the football computer points, we just want to let you know you can leave now and not miss anything else. There will be future podcasts for you. That's true. However, this one's for me. We would like to talk about a recent adventure we had. Rebecca and I took off to Columbus, Ohio, nationwide arena for three days of the U.S. Figure Skating Championships. And we thought it'd be fun if Rebecca took over as host and I took over as occasional fiddling in in the middle. Color commentator. There we go. And before we get to you, I got one comment I have to work in, though. (laughs) You're not doing well at handing off the reins here. Not yet. We'll get there. We met a couple (laughs) Minster people. We met a couple Wapakoneta people. But sadly, whenever I tell someone I was at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, do you know what they asked me? They asked, did you see Tanya Harding? Oh. (laughs) And no, Tanya Harding was not in the building as far as we know. (laughs) Nancy Kerrigan was there. Yes, she was. So, Rebecca, now I hand it off. All right. We'll see how long that lasts. (laughs) So, yeah. Thought we'd elucidate. No, that's not the word. <laughs> You're right. Without a script, yes. this is um, elucidate. I, I learned that once in like sophomore year English and it stuck out. I, if you haven't been a detailed, focused listener of the pod or know me in real life, you may have missed that I am a bit of a figure skating enthusiast. It's probably my favorite sport to follow behind football to keep interacting with with my father on a regular basis. And dad here has been engaged in the sport from an early age of bonding with his own mother. So I had an in yes. to get a uh, a friend to go with me to the Nationals. You may say, why would the Nationals be in Columbus? And I would say exactly the same thing. It's not the first place you think of for a center of figure skating culture, but it's Pretty good. Pretty well done. Managed it really well. They've got some good stadiums out there in Columbus. Nationals bounces around. They got tired of hosting it in 
the centers of the nation's populace of New York or Boston or LA or insert major metropolis here, or it was cheaper, probably. I'm on a detour. Whereas so I would have expected it. We in went Salt Lake City personally, or or somewhere else that has hosted the Winter Olympics, such as uh, that little place in upstate New York, um, Lake Placid. Before my home time. of Miracle on Ice, which happened exactly forty-four years ago from the day that we are recording this. Yes. How do you know that? It showed up on my Twitter today. Ah, there you go. There you go. Anyway. For those who are unfamiliar with the sport of figure skating, it works like most sports do. You do a qualifying series. You beat the people in your regionals. You beat the people in your states. That's not exactly how it happens. But eventually you get selected as one of the top ones in the country. And then they send you off to one location, or rather they tell you you're invited and then you pay your own way to one location. And you all compete together to see who's the best in the country. So this was... One, two, three, four, five, six, eighteen of the best women, eighteen of the best men, and I think there was like between twelve and thirteen pairs and dance pairs each. So sounds about right. Roughly, that sounds like how many we watched. Roughly fifty of the best skaters in the country right now got out on the ice in Columbus, Ohio, and then Dad and I paid a bunch of money to go sit close to them and watch it, and it was a blast. Pro tip for anyone looking to attend in the future, not that you can game this in advance unless you've got friends also invested in figure skating. The best experience of any figure skating competition in person is to sit next to a over-enthusiastic teenage girl who's got a couple of sessions. Highly recommend. Also, if her mom's there too and has a history with the sport, you get so many good tidbits. Dad and I lucked whereas out. I had to, whereas I had to sit on the aisle. I missed most of it. That's it. Yeah, I stole all the gossip. But it was very fun to get on the Jumbotron by nature of us being next to a bunch of enthusiastic children. And right behind the podium, if you get any wide shot views of the podium, I think we have one or two saved, and then you zoom very far in the backgrounds in the darkened area, you can maybe pull out Dad's UC Bearcats jacket. It's an exciting moment. <laughs> we're there we're in the podium shots we have proof we have proof <laughs> actual event though is split up into four disciplines and two performances for each discipline so there's the men's and women's single competition there's the pair skating competition and the ice dance competition which is also a pair but there are different rules they both do a short and a long program, although for the singles, it's called your short program and your free skate. For the dance, it's your rhythm dance and your free dance. And for pairs, it's I think it's also short and free because we've got to make it complicated. There's a history there that I am not going to get into. My father is raising his hand to insert a comment. We yes, skipped Dad. the short programs and just went to the free skates, which, as Rebecca hinted earlier, it's not free to watch. It's quite expensive, actually. <laughs> no, it's not free to watch, and neither is the food or drink free to consume. <laughs> Without an immediate Google, which I could do as researcher, but I'm on a roll. The free dance and free skates are because there are guidelines or were in the past guidelines for the other dances and the freeze are just you can do whatever you want as long as you hit a time limit and a certain number of skills rhythm dance they have to hit a specific rhythm and pattern i believe in the short program originally they had to do like specific figures on the ice but free is just a free for all so there's some context okay men's women's pairs dance. So we got there, as Dad mentioned, just for the free skates, partly because it's expensive. <laughs> and we did, I didn't buy tickets for the uh, short programs, but also because the short programs were two days prior. And that would have meant taking off work for two days that I didn't want to take off work for. So we came in Friday night, 
for the exciting women's final. And it was exciting. It sure was. Again, find yourself an enthusiastic family to sit beside. They give you all the gossip. So, came in, saw some lovely skaters. There were some pretty good programs in the in the initial batches. Figure skating's performed in series groups. So this one was split up into three groups of six skaters so that they could resurface the ice in between. Get nice and smooth. Nobody falls over gouges or toe pick marks. And then when they come in, they're grouped by their qualifying scores from their pre-season, well, not pre-season, but pre-nationals results. So lower qualified skaters skate first, and then the higher qualified skate last. And then by the time we got to the free program, you skate in performance order. So if you scored the lowest in the short program, you skate first. And if you scored the highest, you skate last for the drama and the tension, obviously. Drama. Okay, so I'm just going to skip over group one because they're lovely skaters and they did much better than any of us will ever be able to probably. But they weren't the highlight events. (laughs) Although there were some very good very well-performed skates that had lower difficulty, so therefore fewer falls that were probably better to watch. But group two, I'm going to highlight one or two. Specifically, Miss Sonia Hilmer. She was, um, I think, the first one in group two, so middle to low end of the pack. Had an exciting skate. Couldn't tell you the music or what the skate was about because I it's been three weeks. But... She is remarkable in that she's one of the only people in the competition who can do a double jump, so two jumps in combination, where she spins one direction on the first one and then spins the other direction on the other one. And it's very weird to watch because you don't expect it because nobody does that. And then you, you have to second guess it for a bit. But for context, if you're ever watching this, probably in the Olympics, You can pay attention to figure skaters. They will only ever rotate in one direction. It's like right-handed or left-handedness. One of them, when you start out, will feel more comfortable. And you only ever spin that direction. If you start trying to go the other way, it'll really mess you up. So nobody does it. I remember her now because it did look different. It did. I'm an avid figure skating fan, and I will be the first one to admit I cannot tell jumps apart. I know their jumps. I know they look cool, and I know kind of when they're done well or poorly. But if you ask me to identify one, not going to be able to do it unless it's an axle. And even that one, I can only hit 50% of the time. Identify. I I cannot jump them. I am shocked to know you can't tell a double axle from a triple toe loop. It just disappoints me. I can do a double from a triple. Okay, other background. Figure skating jumps. You're getting a whole crash course. Buckle in. So the doubles, the figure skating jumps are named by, I think they're honestly named by whoever did them first, and then their number of spins. So single, double, triple, quad is how many times you rotate in the air before you land. The names of the jumps, some of them are actually based on how you do them, but there, I think there are six jumps that you can do in figure skating. And I need to... And they're based off of how you take off and how you land. So the variations between them are usually minute. It's usually if you take off from one side of your blade and land on the other side, like left to right, or inside to outside is the actual figure skating term. That's one jump. But if you land inside to inside or outside to outside, that's a different jump. And I'm going to change that. It's the edge you take off on, the edge you land on, how you jump, and how many rotations you do. So inside to outside, inside to inside. That's two different jumps. There's also jumping by just jumping, whipping your leg up in the air and going for it. And then there's jumping by digging your topic into the ice and pushing off. That's two more variations. So that gives you four right there. Don't question me on the math. And then there's the final bit, which is how much you rotate which is what makes the axle special. Because all of these are just a single, you rotate once, you land. You take off going backwards, you land going backwards. Axle is a rotation and a half. So a single is one and a half, a double is two and a half, 
triples, three and a half, and so on, where you take off going forwards and land going backwards. So you've got to get that extra spin in there. And that's the only reason I can tell it apart from the others is because you take off differently. Yay. If you ever see people freaking out about people doing a triple axle and you're like, the guys are on quads. Why is that impressive? It's because triple axle is harder than triple everything else. And someone recently, I'll talk about him later, landed a quadruple axle, which is the first time anyone's rotated over four times on the ice and landed it in competition. It's scary. Anyway, where were we at? They're Jumps. Fast. Oh, yeah. They're so fast. I got dizzy not, watching. You get dizzy doing them. That's the other thing. I'm an amateur figure skater. So amateur. I will never do jumps or spins. They terrify me. I tried once to see how the physics worked. And you don't you don't get over the dizziness. You just get used to it until it goes away. Because unlike dance or ballet, you're spinning too fast to spot. So you're just like whipping your head around and waiting for the blur to stop. It's terrifying. Mad props to anyone who can do that. It's not me. Anyway, this is a terrifying sport, and those are highly, highly athletic people who can spin that. And that's why no one spins in multiple directions, because it takes so long to get the first spin down. And back to the women. Yeah. That's funny. When you you listen to Tara Lipinski and Johnny, what's his name on the broadcast? Johnny Weir. Johnny, what's Johnny his name? Weir. Johnny, what's his name? Johnny Weir. <laughs> I've never heard them use the term terrifying. They always use these probably... flowery terms. <laughs> like it's beautiful and it's all this stuff. They're paid to make the sport look interesting and appealing. They're not paid to make it realistic for first year people starting out. They don't tell you, hey, if you pull a Rebecca Monin and try and practice things that your coach hasn't taught you yet, you might accidentally break your ankle doing a backwards crossover, which is just the normal move that the professional skaters use to move across the ice quickly. It's the basic skill, and it can break you. They don't tell you that. (laughs) Uh, It's a scary sport. You're running around with blades on your feet. And then you get to pairs and people are standing on each other with blades on their feet. So Sonia was very good. She did a spin and then she landed and did another jump and spun the other way. And I was in shock for a while. And she's who I wanted to hit up initially. But the main event for the women's came in the third group. Specifically the last, the, the whole group was very good. And there were very good skaters lower down who had beautiful, beautiful programs who just didn't put in a triple axle because they can't land it because it's insane and didn't get enough points to be in competition for first place. So the women's came down to two. It was Amber Glenn and Isabel Levito. Amber came in in second place. Isabel came in first in from the short program. But the important context there is that Amber's been doing this for about 10, 10 years at at the senior level so she's i think she's like 26 she's got experience in competitions she's i wouldn't say unflappable because she does um feel the pressure and tend to collapse on herself when she gets stressed out but she's generally experienced in major competition isabeau came in and is very good and is i think technically stronger than amber but she's like 17 18 and is the reigning a national champion from the year before and is not used to pressure and is not used to coming in to the free skate in first place having to defend. So Amber comes in, does her second to last skate of the free program. The beautiful piece. She lands a triple axel, which is very, very good. I think she's only like the seventh woman internationally to ever land it. Don't fact check me on that. It's in the single digits. And then starts feeling the pressure and she falls on a couple jumps. But she finishes the program and she does very well. She runs off to the side afterwards. Feels like she's let herself down because she fell. So she's disappointed in herself. And we're sitting at a fun little angle where we can see the entire kiss and cry, which is the 
area that they show on camera when they get their scores. And also the benches just to the side of the kiss and cry where people wait afterwards. So the entire time Isabeau's going out to warm up, Amber's just on the bench, head in her hands. It's very sad. I love Amber. She's my favorite. And I am so sad for her. And then Isabeau comes out and you're like, you just have to skate relatively clean. You don't even have to skate clean. You just have to not fall like three times. And you've got this. And the pressure got to her and she fell like three or four times. And it was awful to watch. Like, and I mean, it was a still very beautiful and impressive. I'm rambling and dad needs a gap to talk. For you football fans, <laughs> it's like when you got a lead and the coach goes into the prevent defense and tells the players, just don't mess it up. And of course, they will. Right? Pressure is hard. <laughs> yeah, and she's... Not used to it. It's like going to the Super Bowl when you've been there three times versus this is your first go and all the lights are big and scary. You make mistakes you wouldn't normally. And uh, Isabeau made mistakes she wouldn't normally. And by some twist of fate, she fell just enough times that uh, her score wasn't good enough to overcome Amber's lead. So Amber came out as the winner and national champion who had been crying her eyes out in a corner five minutes earlier because she thought she had ruined her last chance because she's getting to retirement age for professional figure skating. So it was a whole roller coaster of uh, emotions on the sideline of the competition there. And a very exciting way to start out the, the uh, weekend. And if you haven't guessed from Rebecca's commentary, Oh, Amber Glenn was far and away the people's choice in this competition. They were all cheering for her so much, and they were all crying with her on the side. I think that's what figure skating fans like the most is all the crying. <laughs> and they were just all crying. We with like her picking were... favorites and following the emotional journeys. Yes. They weren't rooting for the other girl to fall, but they weren't overly disappointed by it either. <laughs> yeah, it's... You don't like saying that you're happy someone had a bad skate. But yeah, the crowd had a favorite. That's for sure. And that's partly because Amber's been coming to Nationals for 10 years. So all of the dedicated fans have seen her get second, third, ninth, fourth for 10 years. And this was her first national championship. And it was very emotional. Anyway, takeaway. Amazing experience. Not the way you want the national championships to end. You want to feel good about everybody. But that's that's the nature of the beast. The pressure gets high and the falls start to come in. Do you have any other takeaways from the women's event we should hit upon? The only thing I'd say is this comes to a little side thing that I noticed from there. When I used to watch this on Wide World of Sports back with mom back in the old days, people would always throw flowers onto the ice. And they don't do that anymore because I hear it messes up the Zambonis. It sure does. So now they throw stuffed animals on the ice instead. They call them tossies. The tossies. I like that. <laughs> the part that amazed me was... You toss. Yeah. The part that amazed me was they didn't sell them there. Where are the capitalists in the world? Why is that a big stand full of stuffed animals there for you to sell to the crowd? And then instead of letting the skaters keep them, why don't they round them all up when they get thrown on the ice and send them back to the booth and sell them again? I was really disappointed in that. <laughs> the missed business opportunities. The losses. They have to bring in a whole volunteer staff of local figure skaters to come pick up the stuffed animals and they don't even get anything for it. Oh, they all got interviewed when they got it up, so up on the big screen. So that was kind of fun. They did all get interviewed. They got to see their favorite skaters up close and personal. Yep, they do. But yeah, if you, another perk to going in person, you get to see the, uh, the gauntlet of tossies. You got to try and figure out the best timing of when to throw your, your stuffed animal so that the skater you want picks it up and it doesn't get swept up by the volunteer skaters. I think highlight of the uh, the weekend might have been when the girl sitting next to us had a giant pink flamingo, and it ended up 
sitting in the kiss and cry on camera. We were so proud. We were very proud. We were also sat right behind a cameraman. And the other highlight was whenever people's throws fell short and it hit the camera or the man in the head. Again, not what you want, but it is entertaining. Well, that's what I was rooting for. (laughs) (laughs) So so that was Friday night. That was Friday night. We We got there like... Oh, who'd we start with Saturday? Was it the pears or was it the ice dancers? All right. Saturday was the pears day. So it was free dance and free pairs in which two people form a team and do various dancing things or skating things. So we're going to talk about uh, ice dance first. You say, to be honest, we really only have to talk about one pair in the ice dance. Yeah, I'm not planning on spending a ton of time on pairs or dance. To be fully blatantly clear, I don't understand the scoring system. So it's hard to engage unless they've got a very good program with good music. But ice dance is historically based in like ballroom dance on the ice. So old time, old time, like 50s and 60s ice dance competition was like they would give a dance routine that's based on a waltz or a tango. And you have to do that with your partner and you have to be in contact the whole time. But the part that draws me and why I'm doing <laughs> contradiction to what I just said. I am pursuing actively ice dance as a skill on in my uh, amateur figure skating lessons, and it's the one I understand the least. So, fun fact. But why I'm pursuing it as a skill is because ice dance does not have any major spins or jumps. You don't do any of that. You stay on the ice, and if you spin, it's just a couple twizzles, and then you move on. Which is just, instead of spinning in one spot, a twizzle is kind of like a drawn-out line of spins, and it's slower. So, less intimidating. That's not the licorice I kept buying and eating in the stand. No. No, that would be Twizzlers, except you bought red vines. Oh, that is right. I had red vines. (laughs) (laughs) Ice dance now... In the rhythm dance, they do get a specific pattern and rhythm they have to incorporate. And there's usually a theme that's mandated. But again, we were there for the free, so they could do anything they wanted, as weird as they wanted. And most people were pretty calm. The The main pair that everyone who knows anything about ice dance knows is uh, Madison Chalk and Evan Bates. They came in as the favorites. Everyone else was entertaining, but there wasn't much of a following for the others. Chalk and Bates are the pair at the moment. Sorry, the dance couple at the moment. I think they're like world champions also. So, and they've been, they've had that title for a while. So they came in. Everyone did very well. It was all very cool to watch. The drama of the dance competition is that there was rumors that Chalk and Bates were not going to skate. Because one of them had the flu earlier in the week. And then the other one had the flu the day before. And was still having symptoms. And the word on the street was it was they were going to go through warm-up. And if they felt bad, they were going to drop out. So the whole time, we were all waiting to see if they were actually going to skate. And they did. And the fun of Chalk and Bates is that they do really weird programs. That's their signature. If you're an old person, they're basically the Torval and Dean from the 80s and 90s of nowadays. So you have to be old to know Torval and Dean, though. British people did lots of weird stuff, won all the time. Yeah. I think the judges like it when they get a little weird. Probably more component points for like interpretation of music or something. So, like, for context in history, they've done Snake Charmer and Snake as a routine. They've done um, robot falling in love with space alien explorer thing. I have not seen that one. It's very very cool, but they go kind of out there with their themes. This time, I think, was also robots. I was honestly a little too concerned with seeing how they were going to do while they were skating sick to pay attention to what their theme was. 
It was kind of weird. And they started out, the only thing I remember, honestly, about the program is that they started out in a full plank. Madison was planking and letting fully supported on Evan's knees. And you're like, okay, Evan's just going to hold her up. And then he was like, nah, I'm going to plank also. So it was just, they were both fully parallel to the ice being held up by Evan's knees. And it was impressive and intimidating. And they skated pretty well. I mean, not on, obviously not as the best that they've ever done. And you could tell on Evan's face he was not uh, comfortable because he was probably still sick. And they were avoiding everyone off stage, giving out elbow bumps instead of hugs. But yeah, they pulled out the victory, blew the competition away. Unsurprisingly, won by, oh, only won by five points. But they um, they had a good lead going in and were, again, not feeling well. Just watching it, I was watching the gentleman. That would be a Bates, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought halfway through he was going to quit. He did some move, and he just kind of dropped his arms like, like he was done. And then you could just see him. He just took a deep breath and took off again and went and finished the thing. I told Rebecca, it reminded me there was an old Happy Days episode. <laughs> where the Fonz was in a dance contest with some with some girl, I think it was Richie Cunningham's sister. But anyway, he didn't do any moving. He just the Fonz just stood there while the girl danced around. And that's how the second half of this ice dance was. This guy wasn't doing a lot, but the lady was carrying the show, and she was good. They're very good. <laughs> you see it on TV, and you're like, "Yeah, that's pretty impressive." And then you see it in person, and you're like, "Oh no, they're." <laughs> really whipping around each other there. It's more impressive in person. But yeah, that's, that was the free dance. And then they kicked us out of the stadium for a whole two hours so we could scan our tickets and go back in for the, uh, the pair skate later in the evening. It was cold. It was kind of cold. Outside. This was in late January. Yeah, and rainy. And rainy, yeah. And we didn't walk very far away, so the bar we were in was very crowded. Soccer, I found a bar. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in the Arena District in Columbus, Ohio, it's not hard to find a bar. It's almost harder to find anything else. So Pears was next. Pears is, for those unfamiliar, it's basically single skating, but together, synchronized, with some throw jumps as well. So you do a lot of side-by-side jumps, which are scored both on the quality of the jump that the worst person in the group did. So if somebody, if you're supposed to do two triples and one of your pairs jumps only a double, you get scored for a double. So they do work pretty hard to be synchronized and make sure they're consistent. They also have, I mean, I guess they kind of have twizzles also, which are those long extended spins. And then they have throw jumps where the usually male partner will take their smaller partner, lift her up, and then just toss her. And she'll do like a triple spin in the air and then hopefully land well and cleanly. And it's very impressive. My favorite move. This one is not usually highlighted in the rundown of most impressive moves because it's not a jump or spin. Called um, a death spiral which is dramatic enough on its own. It's my favorite move to watch in all of figure skating and is, again, terrifying. If the name Death Spiral didn't tell you that. Basically, every pair did it in competition, and I had a lot of fun critiquing how well they each did it. But essentially, the the male lead partner plants his, his toe pick in one spot on the ice and spins the partner around while she um like stretches her body and her limbs so that if essentially they get into a position where she's only held off the ice by him holding her hand and like whipping around enough that her body doesn't touch the ice and her head gets inches less than inches from the ice and they're spinning around usually not slow and it's so cool to watch and I worry so much about their safety in practice. They, they must have gotten so many bruises and almost con- uh, concussions learning how to do that. But yeah, just man sitting as a pivot 
woman fully parallel to the ice spinning around him. Rebecca, mm-hmm. do you suppose in practice perhaps the woman wears a helmet or headgear of some sort? I would hope so. I would really hope so. I would really, really hope so. And I've never I've never seen someone at my rink break out a helmet. I've seen people break out butt pads, but I've never seen them break out helmets. Grain of salt is that no one at my rink is a pair skater. Well, that's not true. No one at my rink is a pair skater who does death spirals. There you go. There's a couple siblings who are like, I think they're like 10 or 12, who are coming up in the circuits, and they're doing pair skating together. They're also doing individual skatings, and they I don't think they're going to be a pair for very long because they're 10 and 12-year-old siblings and they hate each other, but <laughs> they're very good at skating. Anyway, the pairs event, to be honest... I also didn't know anyone going in or have an emotional attachment. So it was very good for getting new favorites. But also I'd only heard of one of the pairs before. And that was um, Ellie Cam and Danny O'Shea. They did very well. I don't have much more to say because, again, I'm not entirely sure how the scoring system works. But everyone was very cool to watch. And I had a blast. (laughs) One other remarkable note there, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the culture of pairs, there's usually an age gap. It's usually, I wouldn't say usually significant, but it's common for it to be a pretty significant age gap. And that's largely because it's hard to find compatible partners. And there's a limited number of men who are doing pair skating. So the men who do it tend to stay in it for a long time. And the women who do it probably could stay in it for a long time, but they don't have to. And if they can't find a partner, they'll probably switch back to singles. So as an example, the winning pair was, I believe, the woman was 21 or 22, and the man was 35. So not And he looked every uncommon. bit of 35, too. He did. He was Very, very he tall, very like bald. He- he looked like he was a man among children on the podium up there. Yeah, it was a little bit uncomfortable. I won't lie about that. <laughs> but not uncommon. Well, yeah. moving on to the hot ticket event for all of US Nationals, the men's free skate. Just had a bit of a revolution in the past decade or so. Because I believe, Dad, didn't you tell me that when you were coming up, you thought women's was the big ticket event for skating? No, far and away. Far and away. It's always the women's. They were known as the queens of the ice. The guys were never kings. Traditionally, the women's skating has been the more popular ticket because the men's didn't have a ton of hype around it. The culture was not there to support it, I would assume. They probably didn't have as many coming up through the programs to engage the interest in. I think part of it may be that figure skating seems to have moved a little more. It used to be more of a mostly beauty and some athleticism that's moved more to lots of athleticism and some beauty. And I, I think would that agree with changes that. has helped the men's gain a little more. Yeah. Um, There's definitely been a push away from the pageantry and towards the physical accomplishments. And personal opinion, I think a lot of that came around within like the last 10 or 15 years, but specifically in the U.S. culture with one Mr. Nathan Chen. So we were doing pretty okay with women's competitors, but we didn't didn't have too many standout men. Like there was your Brian Boitano, your Scott Hamilton, your Adam Rippon, your Johnny Weir, who all had their own moments, but they weren't dominant. And everyone likes their representative to be dominant. It's a lot more fun to cheer for. And so, I don't know. When Nathan Chen came on the scene in figure senior figure skating, he was physically more capable to about doing the, the technical jumps than most other men's figure skaters. And by the transitive property, most, if not all, women's figure skaters. So he was doing jumps that no one... I'm not going to say no one's done before, but he was doing like the quad jumps, the hardest ones. All the time. He could do so many. So he would just blow away the competition by sheer number of points. And he stayed at the top of the 
leaderboard internationally um, the whole time. So he started his senior career in 2016 and just graduated, not graduated, retired last year. So a good six years, six, seven years, came onto the scene and pretty much instantly became dominant and was, I believe, between two Olympics, undefeated in every competition he was ever in. Sounds so right. Yeah. That did a lot for stirring up public opinion for figure skating and definitely propelled the men's competition to the hot ticket item. Again, Nathan did retire last year at the ripe old age of 24. And uh, at the same time, we got a new dominant men's figure skater in one Ilya Malinin, who is um, brand new to the senior scene. I think he's 17. He came up from juniors last year. And is the first person ever to land a quadruple axle in competition. You remember, right? That's the uh, four and a half spins in the air. And it's impressive to see in person. So fast and so high to get all those in. But yeah, suddenly you've got someone who can do, again, all those quads, which get you an uber amount of points. And then the extra quad axle and suddenly no one else can keep up with him and we've got a another world champion in in the in the works there's our history this specific event had a couple highlights for me outside of Ilya Malinin our our far and away champion of points once again we had a crowd favorite I don't know if not... it's <laughs> yeah well well you would yeah, think crowd the crowd that, split yeah. on this one there are two crowd favorites in the men's. We're spoiled for choice in, in the U.S. men's bench, on the bench. We've got a deep bench. For some reason, there's been more of the men in the U.S. competition recently who have done well internationally. So I've got more emotional connection. So I was very invested in the men's competition. So just quick shout-outs over here to... Um, Yaroslav Paniot, he ended up in like seventh, but he was a favorite of the small girls next to us, and he had a very, very good program. Very fun to watch. I think he skated. Two thumbs up. I think he was doing the Queen program. It was very, very good for crowd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Doing the Freddie Mercury thing. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Pro tip if you want to get the crowd on your side, play 80s rock music. Do not play. Phantom of the Opera or the no. Moulin Rouge. No. They've been done. <laughs> Everyone plays them. Just let them die. Anyway, so Yaroslav, Jimmy Ma, Andrew Torkachev, Maxim Namov, they all did fantastic programs. The crowd favorites were Ilya for his cool jumps. And he does a thing called, I think it's a raspberry twist. It's a weird, jumpy, spinny thing. Very cool to watch, but it doesn't seem like it should work. Look it up if you got time. I don't know how you describe it, but you watch it, you go, ooh, and then like, how do you do that? What was that exactly? It was like a like a um, like a. It looks like he's gonna flip. fall. Like he's like he yeah. messed up and he's gonna fall, but then he doesn't. So it's definitely a jump and it's definitely a twist, but it's not like a vertical one where you spin across the vertical axis. It's like a. He launches himself sideways and then also does like a a front rotation and then a, I don't know it's it's weird and I don't know how it works but it was cool but anyway the other fan favorite and my personal favorite skater of all time I've got a bit of a weak spot Jason Brown who has also been in the game for a long time in the figure skating world. Probably 10-ish years in the seniors. And he can last a lot longer because he is he's 29, which is old for a national competition level skater. But he can last because he's not good at jumps, which normally would be bad. But he's very good at everything else. Everything else. In other words, and he can get good like enough a, at jumps that he can keep up. He's like a running back that knows how not to take hits. His body's going to last longer, but maybe he doesn't get 
he can't do the big jumps for the big points, but he also doesn't hurt his body trying to do the big jumps. Correct. So this man is just, you don't understand that it's an art form until you watch him skate and you're like, oh yeah, that's how this was before everyone was insane about jumps. You're like, yeah, this they're, is, they're... I mean, it's so good. Yeah, there are a couple of them that don't do much except go from one corner of the arena to the other and do a jump. And then after they land it, they skate to another corner and do a jump. And then they skate to another corner and do a jump. And it's, that's all they're doing. And then you see this guy and you say, well, there, there, there can be more to it than just that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are some people who when they do spin, they're just, you know, they're just getting the spin and moving on. And they're turning so slow because they're not good at spins. And you're just like, I don't know if this counts point. anymore. You're basically stopped. And then Jason comes in and does a spin, and it's like the most flexible operatic ballet move, and he's spinning so fast. And you're like, yes, this is what I wanted all those spins to be. Ugh. There were a lot of bad, just, slow spins. <laughs> there are a lot of bad, slow spins. <laughs> but you've got to do it, and they don't have the speed. Anyway, Jason's my favorite. He's very good to watch, and he's very nice off the ice, like just the happiest, most smilingest interviewer you will interviewee you'll ever see. Like he's bubbly. He is bubbly. <laughs> anyway, I gotta see Jason. It was all I wanted. It was half the reason I bought the tickets. That's all the events, except there's one more, one more secret oh, yeah. event. They don't tell you about it. That's a lie. They do. It just doesn't win any medals. The exhibition skate. Or, in our case, the Prevagen Skating Spectacular. Got to get a good advertiser in there for this, for the exhibition skate. They actually Basically, had a change of signs. All, they changed signs all over the arena between the end of the men's and the start of the exhibition skate for the, for the new sponsor. It was fun to watch. They did. It was very entertaining. My conspiracy theory is that this started because the skaters had extra time and were goofing around. And I'm guessing the competition organizers rented the rink for the whole day and the final competition ends at like 2 p.m. And they said, hey, we can make more money by selling tickets to this thing they're doing anyway. But what the exhibition skate is, is they take the um, top competitors, usually first, second, and third from each of the competitions, and any other additional fan favorites, and occasionally a couple of the favorites or winners from the junior competition. And they say, hey, you've got anything else. Now's the time to break it out. And they just skate their fun program that they probably do whenever they're tired of practicing their serious one. For you old timers, once again, this is when Scott Hamilton would do that illegal backflip that he's not allowed to do in competition. Very much so. If you ever want to see a backflip, They'll do it at exhibition skates because there are no rules and no judges. So you get the back flips, you get side flips, you get people interacting with the crowd or jumping on the ice from the crowd. I've seen that before. Or um, bringing out props, intricate costume changes. The music that their coaches said was not appropriate for international competition. Whatever they want. It's where you get to see the skaters have fun and not be stressed out. And it's just a fun time. Mm -hmm. And then they all get together at the very end and they do a big synchronized skating thing that was probably coordinated in 10 minutes. It's just a ball of joy. I would <laughs> clap for those people all day long. <laughs> Except not for that. We left early because I wanted to go to bed. It was like 11 p.m. And apparently that's my bedtime. <laughs> yep. All you people who get up early in the morning to go to work always wear out at 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, dad would come back after we got back at 11. I would go instantly to bed and he would be up and doing things until like 2 in the morning. I'd be looking up Playing high school football. Splendor online. Yeah, that too. A little Splendor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> high school football gossip. Hard at work prepping for a new season of the podcast. All year long. Anyway, that's about all I have for this. Oh, one other thought from the exhibition skate. Jason's, of course, Jason, Jason Brown, my favorite skater. 
his remarkable skate that he brought out was not a goofy costume change or a forbidden move. No, he decided, I'm going to bring a live orchestra from the Columbus Symphony Orchestra and play my music live. We're just going to do that. Why not? So that was fun. And they gave him an award, partly related to that. But from what I understood, it was kind of just like an insider's award of like, hey, this guy thought you were cool. Here, have this award. I'm just going to give you at my house. And then 30 years later, that guy gave it to someone else. And then 10 years later, that guy gave it to someone else. And then they're like, May, maybe we should make this public. Maybe Ooh. we should give ourselves credit for this. I could give you some details on that. I remember the story. Please do. It started with way back when, like a hundred and some years ago, there was a skater whose last name was Mr. Salcow. Oh, Salcow. Sorry, I was thinking about Mr. Salcow. Yes. And that's what one of the jumps is now named after Mr. Salcow, which I was happy to learn that because I always kind of thought that was a weird name for a jump. And anyway, he had a lot of awards. And at some competition, some new guy, Button? Dick Button, it was it was Dick Button, skated really well but didn't win. And Mr. Sal Cal thought the judges kind of cheated him, so he told him, "Come on over to the house, and I'll give you a trophy because I have gobs of them." So Mr. Sal Cal gave Mr. Button this trophy, so he had a trophy from the event. And like thirty or forty years later, they both gave it to some other guy who I'd never heard of. Misha Petkovic. Really? Hmm. I really Apparently. haven't heard of him. Anyway. And now, I don't know if he gave to and someone to else Paul eventually. Paul Wiley. Yeah, I heard, heard of Paul Wiley. I, I was never that impressed with Paul Wiley in his skating career, but that's just me. And they now decided that they want to make it into the Heisman Trophy of Skating and give it out like every four years. Mm-hmm. So... It seemed a little self-pretentious, but, you know, what the heck? You got to start these things somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of trophies kind of are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and I, yeah, and they gave it to sweet. Jason Brown because everyone likes him and because he skated a lot on on the internet during COVID for people to watch, is what they yeah. said, right? I think they set it out. I do kind of think they brought it public just to give Jason a trophy. Because yes. they like Jason. And then they thought up reasons why he deserved one afterwards. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the actual stated reasons and continued qualifiers for the trophy are that they're excellent in skating, obviously, with a preference specifically for never having won gold, won first place in major competition, which Jason never did because that Nathan Chen guy and now that Ilya guy. also. Someone who is a um, above and beyond the rules of competition. Not in a break the rules, but like they actually skate like they like to. And who is a good influence on the skating world as a whole. So Jason's one of the best public um, publicity men for figure skating out there. Nathan Chen's good for the big names, but he doesn't like talking to people. And he's not the best at sharing enthusiasm. Jason is all about enthusiasm, and he loves talking to people. Um, oh, a so good yeah, ambassador for the sport, huh? A very good ambassador for the sport. So yeah, he did a lot of marketing during the pandemic. He's very vocal about charity works. He donates all his stuffed animals to local Ronald McDonald houses, which I don't know why everyone True. doesn't, because that's a lot of stuffed animals to manage. There's a lot um, of stuffed animals. You should probably donate them somewhere or sell them to be resold. <laughs> um, but generally, he's just you might guess a really what I would do. <laughs> yeah, he's just a really good guy. So, in four years, years they'll give it to someone else who's good at skating and hopefully a good person and a good ambassador for the sport. But I think this was primarily to make Jason cry. <laughs> which worked um, and give him a good send off for his career. That about sums it up. Do you have any specific takeaways right from the experience, Rebecca? Yeah. I'll be going again. If it's close by, I probably won't travel super far 
Although the World Championships is in Boston next year, so I'm probably going to go to that. No major takeaways. I enjoyed it all. One learning I had is that they don't show you the little box with the scores and how well the skaters do live that you see on TV. That doesn't exist in the stadium, so pros and cons. I like it as a mathematical person, so I can easily critique how well they're doing without knowing what they're skating. But there was something uh, really cool and engaging about being there in person and not having that box distracting me. It was really good. I loved it a lot. I like the sport a lot. Yes, you do. Just a random notice from my end. I found it amazing how many American skaters these days have parents who were Russian or Ukrainian or something like that, that were skaters for these yeah. Eastern European countries. And then they've moved to the U S at some time. And now their kids are skating for the U S we steal the best baby. Go USA. We steal Thanks. the best. Yeah. The skating uh, field is full of a lot of Eastern European and Asian names, partly because we get skaters from like Ukraine and Russia moving over when they uh, get uh, finished with their careers and raising their children here. Like Ilya Molinin is the child of two, I think, Ukrainian Olympic medalists or competitors and has been skating probably since he could walk. And um, I think the large Asian population of skaters comes from back in the day. Our, uh, why am I forgetting her name? She's the ambassador now. To the Yamaguchi? Was it Christy Yamaguchi? Christy or? Yamaguchi, back in the day, had a good string of championships. We got, we got the wrong one. That was Michelle Kwan, who's the ambassador to Belize. Okay. Yes. Michelle Kwan. Back it up. Back, back it up. Back it up. Anyway. Christy Yamaguchi, too, though. Christy Yamaguchi and Michelle Kwan. We had a good, like, decade in the 90s where we had some pretty dominant women skaters who were also Asian-American. And that stirred up a lot of potential opportunities for um, young Asian Americans who didn't have other like icons in public social media and culture mm-hmm. to uh, look up to. So Always good you to see representation. To it opens doors. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Yes. Great event. I love the sport. I'll be going again. Thanks for letting me ramble. I can do more. Now, now I know what it's like to be on your end of one of these podcasts, Rebecca. Except I think I talked faster and left less room for you than you do for Let's me. See. So thanks all again for listening to me. I'll be uh, dropping in more comments on the figure skating season next year during football season, because that's when figure skating starts back up again. But until then, football season starts. We'll probably have news in early to mid-summer. When the practicing is allowed to start up again. Maybe we'll get some... Are there any new division splits that you think are going to happen? Or movement in the regions? We'll see. Well, there's some... Pretty soon the enrollment numbers will come out. We won't get the competitive balance adjustments until right before the season. (laughs) We'll get an idea on what the new divisions will be. And something to keep an eye on. The schools are voting on a proposition this year for other sports such as basketball, baseball, softball, volleyball, that Division One and Division Two would both be limited to just 64 teams, and then they're increasing the number of divisions in all those sports. You yeah. would think, you would think if it happens in other sports, it's going to happen in football afterwards. You would not think. Not next year yet. Yeah, not next year yet, but look forward down the road. So keep your ears out for... A midsummer podcast. But until then, I'm sure you can keep up with Dad by following him on Twitter at Bruce Monin or sending us any questions at the same spot or emailing at bdmonin at nktelco.net. Of course, you're always welcome to spot him at his Wednesday afternoon office hours at Bud's in Minster, probably around 4 p.m. Always a good time. You won't be able to find me unless you're in my house or at my friend's house or at my work, so please don't. But you're welcome to ask Dad about me. He knows moderately what I do. But until our next episode, be sure to 
subscribe on all of your major podcast sources except for Spotify. I don't think we figured that one out yet. I can't figure it out. <laughs> they ask us to put in an RSS feed and we haven't figured that out yet. No, we haven't. But anyway, so if you know how to do that, let us know. And as we sign <laughs> off, we want to just throw in our thanks to our technical advisor, Ms. Ms. Deb Monin, who fixed the video feed for us before we went on the air. Thanks a lot, Deb. And we will see you in it, or we will be talking to you in a couple of months here on Bruce Monin's Computer Points. So long, everyone. They can't see me wave. <laughs> <laughs>